0: Well, good morning, everybody. Doing all right today? Man, I don't want to follow the honoring the veterans part next time. That's a heavy moment, and vets, we appreciate you guys. We love you so much. Thank you for being with us today. Everybody else, welcome today. We're glad that you are here. I hope you're ready for God's word. If you got your Bible, would you meet me this morning in John chapter 8? John chapter 8. And last week, we started a little two part mini series called Light in Darkness. Light in Darkness. And we're going to finish that up today and conclude it, but I just want to give you a quick recap. I know many of you were here, if not most of you were here last week or you were watching online, but I want to just take a moment to quickly recap what we talked about last week so that way you know where we've been and it sets up where it is that we're about to go. Last week what we talked about was first and foremost in Genesis chapter 1 we see that God speaks light into existence, and that's on the very first day of creation. But what's crazy about it is that it's not until day number four that God creates the sun, the moon, and the stars. So we ask that question, where did light come from if God had not yet spoken the sun, the moon, and the stars into existence? And what we settled on, what we concluded with, was that God is a God who does not just speak light into existence. He does not just give light or create light. God himself is light. Somebody say amen this morning. And then what we talked about from there was the parallels that John the Apostle drew in his gospel. And in John chapter 1, we see that John says in the beginning was the word, identifying Jesus as being there as a part of that spoken word that spoke the world into into existence, that he was God who was there at the outset of time, at the outset of time. Of creation. But then John goes on in that very first chapter of his gospel and he identifies not just Jesus as the capital W word, he calls him the capital L light, meaning that he is not just God, but he is the one who shows God to us. He shines the light of God into our life, showing us who and what. God is. And one of the things we talked about, just so that you can take this home and and put it in your heart today, is we talked about how before God even spoke light into existence, the scripture tells us quite clearly that there was darkness that covered the face of the earth, and it hovered over the deep seas or the deep oceans. And it's important for us to know that that just simply represented obscurity when it says darkness there in the Old Testament. And what we see is that before light ever comes into the picture, God is Lord over darkness. God is Lord over obscurity. He's Lord over confusion. He's Lord over that which is unknown to us and uncertain to us. God is Lord over the darkness. And we see that theme unwind all throughout Scripture. Now, today I want to take you to John chapter 8 because it was John's writings and the first chapter of his gospel that put those two things together, this Old Testament concept of God as light, and then Jesus As light as well. And I love what we see here in John 8 because this is the first place in John's gospel that Jesus himself identifies himself as light. Now I want to read to you this morning, John 8, starting in verse 12, and then we're going to go back and look at a little bit more of this passage to put it all in context. So follow me this morning, John 8, starting in verse 12. Then Jesus spoke to them, saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness but have the light of life. Now, if we just took that verse all by itself, verse 12, we would have a truth that Jesus is speaking to us. Jesus says, I'm the light of the world. Anybody that follows me will no longer walk in darkness, but they will have the light of life. And again, if we only took that one verse and we pulled it out of that passage and we put it up on the wall, it would always be truth. Why? Because Jesus said it. But in order for us to fully understand why Jesus said what he said, we have to go back and look at the full context of this passage of scripture. And if we can see the full context, it's going to set the table for where we want to conclude today and where we want to go, okay? So follow me this morning throughout John chapter 8. Let's look here at verse number 2. Now early in the morning, Jesus came again into the temple, and all the people came to Jesus, and he sat down and he taught them. Then the scribes and Pharisees, or these religious leaders, they brought to him a woman who was caught in adultery in the very act. Now, excuse me, uh, verse 4, they said to him, teacher, this woman was caught in adultery in the very act. Now, Moses in the law commanded us that such should be stoned, or in other words, she should be put to death because we have caught her in the very act of adultery. But what do you say, Jesus? Verse 6, this they said, testing Jesus, that they might have something of which to accuse him. But Jesus stooped down and wrote on the ground with his finger as though he did not hear them. Verse 7, so when they continued asking Jesus, Jesus Jesus raised himself up and he said to them, he who was without sin among you, let him throw a stone at her first. And again, he stooped down. And he wrote on the ground, then those who heard it being convicted by their conscience went out one by one, beginning with the oldest, even to the last. And Jesus was left alone and the woman standing in the midst. So she's standing there all by herself in front of Jesus as her accusers walk away. Verse 10, when Jesus had raised himself up and saw no one but the woman standing there, he said to her, woman, Where are those accusers of yours? Has no one condemned you? She said, no one, Lord. And Jesus said to her, neither do I condemn you, so go and sin no more. Very important words in verse 11. Neither do I condemn you, so go and sin no more. Then Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. This puts it all into context for us now. I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness but have the light of of life. Now, there's a lot of things in this passage of Scripture that we could talk about right here. And if you're like me and you know this passage really well, you've been in church a long time or you know your Bible really well, there's so many different things that we could pull out of this. But what is it exactly that Jesus is doing in this situation? If I would just to encapsulate it, I would say that Jesus is shining some light into an incredibly dark situation. This is dark for a number of reasons because first and foremost, this woman has been trapped or caught. In her sin, she has been in the act of sin, in the act of committing adultery. Now, let's just call this for what it is. Sin is sin, wrong is wrong, right? Everybody with me? Sin is sin and wrong is wrong, right? And so when you've done something wrong, that doesn't, there's nothing that you can do to fix it. What's wrong is wrong because sin is sin. And she's been caught in her sin. Now, there's another conversation that should be had here about why it is that these religious guys were hanging out trying to catch this woman in her sin. I mean, what kind of people were these that they would do something like that? But what makes the whole situation even darker was that she wasn't the one they were really after. They were using her to go after Jesus, to trap him, and as the scripture says, to have something to accuse him of. In other words, they didn't really care if this woman lived or died. She was a pawn in their scheme to trap Jesus and to try to get Jesus to say something that was outside of their theology or their their, their doctrine. Really dark situation, so Jesus has brought this terrible situation, which kind of seems like a lose-lose situation, and Jesus has brought this, and what does he do? He shines some light into that darkness. Now, I want to talk a little bit about this here because there's some things that are revealed about the character and the nature of Jesus that are very, very important to us. If you look at this and you just want to walk away with the grace and the mercy that Jesus extends to this woman, that would be good enough for me, okay? Jesus extends grace and mercy to this woman that is incredible. She doesn't deserve this grace, she doesn't deserve this mercy, but yet Jesus gives it to her. Now, I've heard this passage of Scripture taught in a lot of different ways over the years, but there's a couple of things that stand out to me. And if you're taking notes today, I want to talk about light and darkness, and it comes to the way that Jesus is shining light into this situation. If you're taking notes today, here's the first point I want to give you, okay? Number one, the light of Christ points out the darkness in my life and invites me into the life of God. Let me repeat that one more time so you can write that down. The light of Christ points out the darkness in my life and invites me into the life of God. Now, here's what I mean by this and why I'm telling you this. Because if you just wanted to talk about the grace and mercy that are displayed in this passage, that would be fine. But Jesus takes it a whole lot further than that. Because when this woman stands there and Jesus looks at her accusers, he says to them, Now, you're right. According to the law of Moses, she deserves to die because of her sin. So she should be stoned. So here's how we'll do this. Of all of you guys that are standing here, let the person who was without sin go ahead and throw the first stone. And then Jesus gets down and he keeps writing in the dirt. And one by one, as Jesus is writing things in the dirt from oldest to youngest, they all start to walk away. And Jesus looks at the woman and says, where are your accusers? She says, I don't have any. They're all gone. They've all left. And he says, I do not accuse you anymore, neither do I condemn you. Now, if the story stopped right there, that would be enough to show me that God is a God of grace and a God of mercy. How many of you are grateful that our God is gracious and merciful? Has he been good to you and shown you mercy? That would be good enough, but it doesn't end there. And here's why. Because the very next thing that Jesus says to her is, okay, neither do I condemn you. So what? Go and sin no more. It's so important that we don't leave that verse out of the passage of Scripture because at that point we could imply that what Jesus is saying is, I don't condemn you either, and if you want to go back and keep on committing adultery, I'm cool with it. But that's not what he said. Neither do I condemn you, so go and sin no more. Before Jesus ever stepped foot on this earth or before he stepped foot into his earthly ministry, it was John the Baptist who brought about this gospel of repentance, turn for the kingdom of God is at hand. And Jesus was there to fulfill what John the Baptist was laying ground for. And I want to tell you something today, church, that God is calling us to live a repentant lifestyle before him because in God's eyes, there is a right and a wrong. In God's eyes, there is a good and an evil. In God's eyes, there is sin and there is righteousness. Now, I know that as we hear that today, some people are like, whoa, 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 whoa. That confronts me. That sounds kind of condemning. This isn't a message of condemnation. In fact, I want to encourage you to walk in the light of God today. But it's important that we understand what's happening here because this woman is given a new lease on life. She was about to be killed. And one of the things that we forget when we read through this passage of Scripture is that Jesus says, let you who, you who is here that is without sin throw the first stone. In that very moment, do you realize that Jesus had the ability to pick up a rock and start throwing? He was the dividing line between what she deserved and grace and mercy. And so I want to point this out to you one more time, because again, it's going to set the table for where we're going today. The light of Christ points out the darkness in my life, and it invites me into the life of God. Now, It invites me into the life of God. What does that mean? Well, we said that this is the first place in John's gospel where Jesus comes out and he identifies himself as the light of the world. Let's read verse 12 one more time. What does it say? It says, I am the light of the world, and he who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but watch this, but have the light of life. Do you know what that word in the Greek is? It's that word zoe. It doesn't mean just the life that we experience in our flesh. It doesn't just mean the the life that we can conjure up in our mind. It means the God kind of life that supersedes, that transcends, that goes far and beyond anything that we could ever create for ourselves. If we will choose to follow Jesus and walk in his light, there will be no darkness in our life and we can experience the very life and nature of God. And what I want to submit to you today is that Jesus was giving this woman a doorway not just to be forgiven, but to walk into the life that God had for her. But guess what? It was her choice whether or not she was going to walk into it. She was given forgiveness and mercy and grace, but then Jesus says, now go and sin no more. And at that point, she had to make the choice in her heart. Am I going to follow Jesus and walk in the light, or am I going to walk back to the darkness which I've just been forgiven from? And all of us will have to settle that in our life. Last week we talked about, you know, Jesus, he confronts the disciples. And what does he say? Who do people say that I am? And they give him the feedback. But then he asks the more pertinent question. But who do you say that I am? And Peter says, you're the Christ. You're the son of the living God. In the same way, I think that woman right here, she was confronted with this, this, this path that was in front of her where I can be forgiven right now and still go back to my old ways or I can be forgiven right now and step into something so much better that God has for my life. See, the light of Christ exists to point out the darkness in my life and invite me into the life that God has for me. Amen? Amen. But it's up to me to choose which direction I am going to take. Now, I want to put that out there to lay a foundation of where we're going to land at the end of the message today, but let's keep going because there's a few other things... But I want to point out to you, because this theme of light and darkness gets even broader the more we read throughout Scripture. And I want to show you the sequence that's taking place here, because again, we saw in Genesis chapter 1 that God is light. In John 1, we saw that Jesus is light to us as an extension of God, because he is God himself. In John 8, we see that we are invited to walk in Christ's light. That's the passage we just read. But now Jesus takes it another step further. Look at Matthew chapter 5, Matthew chapter 5, and if you know your Bible very well, this is the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount. In Matthew 5 through 7, Jesus has gathered his disciples and he's taken them up the mount, but what's happening is now crowds of people are starting to form also, and so Jesus just starts talking to everybody. But he starts out by talking to his disciples in the beginning. Look at verse 13 of Matthew 5. Jesus says, you are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its flavor, how shall it be? seasoned it is then good for nothing but to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men now push pause right there for just a moment today the focus of the message isn't going to be on the salt portion of this passage it's going to be more on the light and I don't have a lot in my notes on this but let's just talk about the salt portion of this passage really quick because for most of us the thing that we know salt for the most is it's something that we put on our food to enhance the taste just a little bit how many of you like to put salt on everything how many of you cook a meal? Okay, let me just say it like this because it probably applies to the ladies a little bit more. How many ladies in the house, when you cook a meal for your family and your husband douses salt on it, you get upset because they have just ruined the thing that you prepared? <laughs> My wife always tells me, why don't you taste the soup before you put all that tapatio in it? Well, <laughs> what's interesting here is that if you were to read the message paraphrase or translation of the Bible the way that Eugene Peterson writes in the message here in Matthew 5. He said, this is what you are called to do. You are the salt of the earth. You are the one who adds the God flavors to this earth. Did you know that you and I as Christians, we are the ones who are going to add those kingdom flavors to the world in which we live, and God wants to use us to sprinkle that seasoning into the world in which we live. God wants to use you to add his flavors to the world that you live in. He wants to use you now. Here's the other thing: salt is predominantly in this society used for flavoring. But back in Jesus' day, so much more, it would have been used to preserve something like meat. That way, you know, we didn't have they didn't have freezers back in the day. Today, we would just toss it in the freezer. They would use salt to preserve meat or other things that could perish. But what's cool about this is if you really think about what Jesus is saying here, he says, you are the salt of the earth. You, as a follower of Christ, are the one who is going to preserve the message of the kingdom, the message of the gospel in the day and age in which you live. Guess what, church? You and I are called to be carriers of that gospel message, the salt that preserves that message, that sprinkles in those God flavors in every relationship, in every conversation, in every neighborhood, workplace, family that we might represent. That's what God has called us to do. More on that in a moment, but Jesus says, you are the salt of the earth. And I like what he says here also about how if the salt loses its saltiness, what good is it? And I think what Jesus is talking about here is compromise. If God has called you and I to be distinct as believers, as followers of of Christ, but we begin to compromise the message by compromising our lifestyle— is it possible that we ourselves could lose our saltiness and suddenly our lives are not adding those God kind of flavors to the world that he's called us to live in? It's possible. So what does he say? If you lose your saltiness, it's only good for what? To be tossed out and trampled underfoot by men. I want to encourage some believers today. This isn't a word of condemnation. Hey, don't give away the flavor that God has given you. Hold fast. Hold fast, stand strong, don't compromise the truth, the message of the gospel that lives in here and become trampled underfoot by the the world around us. Hold on to that message, be different, add those God flavors to the world in which you live so that you're not trampled underfoot by this crazy world that we're living in. God has called you to do that, and with his help and being in a community of believers, you can do it, amen? But let's go on and talk more in detail about the point of this message, light, light and darkness. Look at verse 14, you are the light of the world. Now look what Jesus is doing here. First we see that God is light. Now we see that Jesus is light and he makes that light available to us to illuminate our lives. But now he says, we are the light of the world as his followers. So what does he mean by that? You are the light of the world. A city that is on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand. And it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. That last part is the part that's most important. They may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Here's the message that I want to give to you today, church. You are called by God to be a light in the world in which you live. You are called to be a light to the world in which you live. And if you're taking notes this morning, here's a very specific way to write this down. We are not only invited, number two, we are not only invited to walk in Christ's light, we are instructed. Everybody catch that? You know there's a big difference between an invitation and an instruction? An invitation is like, ah, I can take it or leave it. An instruction is, I better do this. Those are the words of Jesus. You are the light of the world. We are not only invited to walk in Christ's light, we are instructed to carry Christ's light to the world that we live in. It's not just a suggestion. It's more than an invitation. It's an instruction. Okay, quick survey. How many of you are followers of Christ? Oh man, you don't want to deny this one. How many of you are followers of Christ? It's not just an invitation and it's not just a suggestion, it's an instruction. Guess what? You are the light of the world that you live in and God is calling you to bring light into the place that you live, that you work, the family you're a part of, the friendships that you have. God is calling you to shine light into those areas of your life. Not just a suggestion, more than an invitation, it's an instruction and it's from Jesus himself. Let's talk about this for just a moment. I love what's said here. Verse 14 says that a city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden. In other words, if I go as a builder, Jesus is saying, and I build a city up on a hill, there's no way that you can hide it because it stands above everything else and it's brighter than everything else around it. I remember about nine and a half years ago, I got my first invitation to come and preach here at the Bridge Church. And we didn't live out here yet. My wife and I still lived in Orange County. We had been married for I guess just over a year, I believe it was Father's Day of 2012, somewhere right around there, and we hadn't moved out here, hadn't come on staff yet, and you know, actually this morning I got to thinking about this, I had no kids and a whole lot more hair, (laughs) funny how that works, but it was Father's Day of 2012, and I remember driving out here, and I remember, I think it was like the Saturday before, the day before we were driving up Marietta Hot Springs Road, and I just remembered for some reason looking up at this hill that our church sits on. And I know many of you say, hey, you know, until we came to the bridge or somebody invited us, we didn't even know the church was up here. We've heard that so many times. But I remember driving up Marietta Hot Springs Road and just knowing where the church was and thinking to myself this phrase just resounding in my heart, a city on a hill, a city on a hill, a city on a hill. And this morning as I was driving up Marietta Hot Springs again, on the days that I preach, I get here very, very early in the morning. Um, Most of you guys are still dreaming. (laughs) This morning in in the fog, and the darkness, I remember driving up Maria Hot Springs Road and you, you can't quite see what it is that's up there. There's just all this light that's up there on top of that hill. And whatever it is, it's shining super bright. And there's no way that you can deny something's up there, because it's up on top of the hill shining bright. And you have to come and check it out and see exactly what it is. And I think there's something similar in what Jesus was saying here. Because when a city is built and it's put up on a hill, there's no way you can deny it's there. It's above all else and it shines brighter than anything else. And I believe with all of my heart that God is calling us as the Bridge Church to be that kind of city on a hill where the world can't deny the light that lives inside of us because we're shining it everywhere that we go. You know, it's interesting. I think that for many of us as Christians, when we think about that idea of a city on a hill, okay, the church of Jesus Christ is a city on a hill. Man, when we all come together, and we shine our light together. Wow, how bright is that light? And that's true. Right here in this moment, I know that all of us, again, who call ourselves Christians, we come into this place, and we praise God, and we honor God, and we lift high the name of Jesus, and the presence of God comes, and his tangible presence is here with us, and we get to know God in a much deeper way. And we get into the truth of God's word, and it shines light into our lives. Again, it illuminates our lives, and it calls us closer to him. And suddenly, we just look around, and we think, man, in these moments, it feels like the light is shining so bright. And again, that's true. And I believe that our collective light shining together in this place as we lift high the name of Jesus and as we honor God's word, that it will draw people in this room to Jesus who walk through the doors of this place not knowing him. I believe that to be true, but can I tell you something? When it comes to shining our light in the dark world around us, that isn't always just coming together on Sundays. In fact, most of the time, it's being a light in the place that God is sending me Monday through Saturday. I want to just share this with you for a moment and just open my heart if I can as one of the pastors here at the bridge because I love it when people come into our church right after service on a Sunday or they call and say hey can we stop by for prayer or something like that because it's an opportunity as your pastors to serve you to the best of our ability to pray with you to stand with you to agree with you and hopefully speak words of life from God's work shine light into your situation. I I, I hope that we have that opportunity and when we get it, I love those opportunities. But one of the things that happens a lot, and this is just me being honest for a moment, as pastors, we hear these kinds of stories all the time. Pastor, I have this friend Pastor, I have this neighbor, I have this family member, I have this coworker, and I got to talking to them, and they just started opening up, and what I found was they are walking through this incredibly dark and difficult situation, and man, everything inside of me just rose up and said, well, I believe that God wants to shine light into that situation. So pastor, can you go to their house? Can you like... Maybe have lunch or coffee with them or can you meet them at their workplace or can you just kind of give them a call? You know, maybe shoot them an email, something like that. And sometimes the relationships work, they work out in such a way that it's easy and it's convenient to do that. But here's the deal. Sometimes God brings people into your life and immediately you know that it is your calling and responsibility right then and there to shine some light into their darkness. And I'm not saying this at all to alleviate the responsibilities that we have as pastors because let me tell you, we have a responsibility to serve the people that God brings into our path. But when God brings darkness, or excuse me, when somebody else brings their darkness into your light path and you recognize that God is pointing it out to you and putting it on your heart to shine light into that situation, don't look to the right or look to the left. Recognize that right here and now, this is your opportunity to be the light of the world, to be a city on a hill, to be the salt of the earth and do what God has called you to do in the place that he has placed you There was an old song that was sung in the church years and years ago that said, you might be the only Jesus that some people will ever see. And guess what? You live where you live, and I don't live there. And you work where you work, and I don't work there. And you're in the family that you're in, and I'm not in that family. And you're friends with who you're friends with, and I don't necessarily know all of those people. And that doesn't alleviate me from my responsibilities. It simply emphasizes the fact that each and every one of us have some. And our responsibility is every time darkness crosses this light path that God has placed me on, If I recognize this person's walking in darkness, they've made a decision that is bringing darkness into their life. What do I do? What is my responsibility? It's not to save their soul. It's to shine light into their darkness and let God go to work and do what he does best. God has called you and God has called me to be the light of the world. It's like this divine transfer where Jesus says, I am the light of the world and I'm giving that light to you. So go and shine it into these dark places that I'm calling you to go. Think about those dark places, and sometimes you say, Man, my family, you have no idea. I got people in my family I don't even want to talk to. I don't want to deal with that darkness. You do it, Pastor. God placed you in that family, not me. And Pastor Gary will tell you, God placed me in my family, and it ain't a whole lot easier sometimes, all right? (laughs) Just being honest for a minute. There is nothing more amazing as a pastor and as a church leader when we get to meet your family and your friends and your neighbors and your co-workers that you minister to by simply shining some light into the darkness of their life and see them come to Christ and join a community of faith. There's nothing more amazing than those kinds of testimonies because we recognize that people are growing in their faith and they're shining the light in their lives that God has asked them to do. And it's an amazing thing. Jesus asked that question, he says, if somebody lights a lamp, would you put a basket over it? No. Why? Because we're called to shine our light into dark places. Now, a couple things I want to just point out to you here real quick, and I've got to move quickly to finish this morning. But this passage, it brings up a couple of questions in my heart when I read it. Because Jesus says, if you lit a lamp, would you put a basket over it? He says, no, you'd put it up on a lampstand. And there are two questions I find myself asking. Number one, is it possible that my light can be overtaken by darkness? Is it possible that I can allow, let me say it that way, my light to be overtaken by darkness? And the second question is, if so, what are the things that would allow darkness to overtake that light that now lives on the inside of me? And this is where I want to land this morning. And this isn't a word to confront anybody or to put guilt or condemnation on anyone. This is just simply from the word of God. And if we call ourselves followers of Christ, we have to answer these questions. Because I think these are some of the things that we as believers can sometimes allow into our life. And whether we realize it in that moment or not, we're allowing darkness to come in and invade the light that lives on the inside of us. So let's just tell the truth for a moment. I think one thing that has the potential to darken the light that lives on the inside of us, number one, first and foremost, our sin, my sin. And I say that very intentionally because of where we started today. When Jesus forgave and gave grace to the woman caught in the act of adultery, he didn't just tell her, you're forgiven, best of luck. He says, no, go and sin no more. In other words, don't return to the darkness in which you came from. I'm showing you light, I'm showing you mercy, I'm showing you grace. Choose to walk into that light and the life that God has for you. Scripture makes it so incredibly clear that it's sin. It's my wrongdoing. It's my shortcomings. It's my imperfections. The times where I even knew what was right and I chose to do wrong, those are the things that can separate me from God. Now, Jesus died for my sin to be forgiven, but just like the woman caught in the act of adultery, if my sins have been forgiven, I still have a responsibility not to walk back to the darkness from which I came, but instead to turn and go forward into the light that God is calling me into. Everybody follow me this morning? I know this sounds heavy, but this is a day and age in which Christians need to be reminded that our God is a righteous God and there is no room for sin in his presence. Whew. This is what Ephesians 5 said. This is the Apostle Paul writing. He says, For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. So what? So walk as children of light. For the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness, righteousness, and truth, finding out what is acceptable to the Lord, and have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness. Sometimes we like to get friendly. With the unfruitful works of darkness. We'd like to dabble in it just a little bit and say, well, I touch it a little bit, but I'm not quite stepping over that line. What Paul's saying is sometimes we go even further than that and we jump right into that thing and suddenly we have fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness. Fellowship is not just I see it and I might reach out. Fellowship is the give and take. It's the interaction. It's the giving and receiving of that which, which is sinful or evil or unfruitful. And fellowship is a word that we use in the Christian world all the time and right here he's using it in a different context. He's saying don't give and take with things that are unfruitful are gonna bring darkness into your life. Choose to turn away and be children of light. Verse 11, and have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness but rather expose them. How do you expose darkness? You shine a light. I've heard it said that sunlight is the best disinfectant. (laughs) Sometimes we've got that stuff that just lies beneath the surface in our own light, and in our own life. And you know what God wants to do? He wants to shine some light into the darkness of our lives. And when it's exposed, it calls us and challenges us to walk His way rather than walk back to the place that we have come from. Amen. It's entirely possible that our sin can be the thing that can allow darkness to come in and dim the light that lives on the inside of us. Here's the second thing, number two. What about my relationships? Oh, this is the one that all of us can relate to, right? What about the people that we allow into our life? Look at what Paul says about this in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 14. Do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. We'll come back to that in a moment. For what fellowship, there's that word fellowship again, has righteousness with lawlessness? And what communion has light with darkness? And what accord has Christ with Belial? That's another name for Satan or the devil. What part has a believer with an unbeliever? And what agreement has the temple of God with idols? For you are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will dwell in them and walk among them. I will be their God and they shall be my People, Let's talk about this real quick. Verse 14, don't be unequally yoked with unbelievers. Sometimes we hear this, in fact, I was sitting with school ministry students here in our church this week, and I was just being honest. I said, growing up, I always heard this passage used in one context, and it's don't marry a non-Christian, don't date a non-Christian. That was the way it was always used. And if you're a believer in Christ, that's a truth that's confronting, okay? But it's a much broader truth there because it's talking about being unequally yoked. The idea of yoke was like that muzzle that went over the face or the heads of the ox where together they would work in one direction so that they're accomplishing much. And what this is saying is don't get into purposeful relationship that's going somewhere with someone who isn't going the same direction that you are. And I know that that can sound kind of harsh because I say, well, Zach, are you saying that you're trying to control my friendships and my relationships? No, 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 not at all. Because we all have friendships, we all have people in our lives that maybe aren't in the same faith as us. But Paul actually takes this a step further, and he says, For what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness? Again, that word fellowship is a much deeper word. It's the give and take. It's the exchange. It's when I do more than just have contact and have a certain sh- you know, um, short-term relationship that doesn't involve much interaction. It's saying, when I choose to be in partnership with those who aren't going the same direction as me. Now this one hurts because it confronts us with, oh my gosh, do I have relationships in my life that aren't going the same direction that I'm trying to go and so therefore they're bringing darkness into the light that God is calling me to walk in? It's entirely possible that relationships can cast darkness over our light and suddenly the light that we're supposed to walk in is dimmed because of those relationships. Man, I got really quiet because <laughs> it can sound like wow, Zach, sounds like you're condemning my non-Christian friends. No, not at all. But you and I have to choose. How much partnership do we have with people who aren't going in the same direction we are? Because our job is not to allow their darkness that they might be walking in to take us back to where we came from. It's our job to shine light into their darkness and say, listen, if you want to come this way, I'll walk with you, but I ain't going back in that direction with you. Does that make sense to everybody? We could stay in that passage a little bit longer, but let's move on to the third thing third thing that can dim the light that God wants to live inside of us, that he wants to shine in and through our life, what about giving ear to the wrong voices? Man, this one's huge right now. We give ear to the wrong voices all the time, and as a result, we start to regurgitate the darkness that we're hearing all the time. We start to spit it out. Have you ever just sat down with somebody like that's a Christian friend, and what came out of their mouth was like, oh my God, the world might end tonight. I'm not talking about the return of Christ, I'm talking about the destruction of all things because everything's just falling apart and there's no good news to be found. And here's a funny thing about this, man, we quote this passage of Scripture so much, maybe more than any other verse or passage of Scripture in the Bible, but I've come to realize that if this was the only verse we preached every single Sunday, that would be fine. It says in Psalm 119, look at verse 104 first. Through your precepts, I get understanding. Therefore, I hate every false way. In verse 105, your word is a lamp to my feet and a what? A light to my path. If the two points of every sermon every Sunday were read your Bible and pray, that wouldn't be so bad. What's interesting about this is I think that our our life is fully lit up with the word of God and the life of God when we're continually in God's word. But when we're taking in all these other voices and all these other words, it's amazing how darkness will creep in and suddenly we're regurgitating the darkness that we're taking in. And it has this ability to dim the light that lives inside of us that God wants us to project. So in closing this morning, I'm out of time. I wanna ask you two questions and then we're gonna pray. First question for everybody to consider. Is my life projecting the light of Christ in my world? Is my life projecting the light of Christ in the world in which I live? And number two, if not, can I identify the things that might be dimming the light or inviting in the darkness? I hope that God spoke to us this morning through his word. It's not a word of condemnation. It's not a word of discouragement. If we can identify the life that God is calling us to, we will choose to walk in the light rather than go back to the darkness. Would you bow your head with me this morning? God, for every person that's in the place this morning, everybody that's watching online, that's pondered these questions, that's considered your word and the challenge that's given, we recognize that you are calling us to be children of light, to be the light of the world, to be the salt of the world. Of the earth, But if we lose our, our saltiness, of what value are we? This morning, if there's any compromise in our lives that we are able to identify, Father, in this place, whether it be our wrongdoing, our faults, our sins, relationships that we've invited in that have brought darkness into our lives where you've called us to walk in light, or maybe even things that we are taking in that don't align with your word and are dimming that light, I pray that you would reveal those things that you would challenge us and that you would show us, call us back to your light. Why? So that we can step into the life that you have for us, that Zoe life. God, we trust you that your plans are better than ours. So today we submit our lives to you and ask you to take control. We give you these things. If there's any error in our ways, we turn to you, we look to you, we give them all to you. And we ask that you would walk us back into your light and that we would be the light you're calling us to be. And finally this morning, if there's anybody here, you feel like you're surrounded by darkness, you feel like you haven't been walking in light because you've never made a decision to invite Christ into your life, or maybe you did that at one point, but at this moment you know you're not walking in that light, I wanna give you an opportunity to invite Christ into your life for the first time or return to that light this morning in Jesus' name. Scripture tells us that it's our sin that separates us from God, but God in his love gave Christ for us so that we, be, we could be forgiven and brought back into that relationship if we would just put our faith in that sacrifice that Jesus made. If that's you today and you wanna step back into that relationship, I wanna pray a prayer with you right now. It's not about magic words, it's about the commitment in your heart. Would you repeat these words after me and say, Jesus, today I choose you. I invite you into my life. I believe you are the son of God and I believe that your death was full payment My sin. So today I will walk with you in this life and into eternity. And I thank you for receiving me into your kingdom in Jesus' name. Amen. This morning, if you prayed that prayer and made a decision in your heart to follow Christ for the first time or you rededicated your life, we just want to help you do this journey well as a church family. We have a free gift that we want to give you. It's called The Next Seven Days. There's two ways you can get it. After service, we'll have prayer teams on each of these side walls down here on the floor of the auditorium. If you're watching online, you can just go to the link that's right there in the browser that you're watching from or the place that you're watching. You can access a digital copy of The Next Seven Days. If you need to go quickly at the end of the service, you can just stop by The Next Seven Days desk. I'm gonna give this free book to you to help you start your walk with God. We'll have a team there. Just let them know you made a decision. We don't need anything from you today, but we're here to help pray with you in any way that we can to encourage you because we're glad that you made Made that decision. Hey, can we just put our hands together this morning and welcome some people into God's family?
1: Hey, would you give Pastor Zach a great big thank you for that message this morning? Thank you, Zach. Y'all want to say something real quickly. Uh, the, the church world needs to hear a message about holiness every now and then. The church world needs to hear that. God said, be holy as I am holy. You find it in Old Testament, you find it in the New Testament. Uh, I don't know if Zach even knows this. Uh, Zach has a great, great grandmother who was, you know, back in the early 1900s, there was a big holiness revival that swept a lot of our nation. Zach has a great, great grandmother who went to be of the Lord before he was ever born. He never met her, who was a holiness preacher back in those days. And it sounded this morning like maybe a little bit of her spirit landed on Zach. And I think we needed to hear that as a church. So, Zach, thank you. Hey, I'm glad that I'm a part of a church that preaches all of God's Word, not just what we want to hear and what feels good and sounds good. And, and I want to say this today. Thank you so much for your faithful support of God's work here at the bridge. This is the time in service when we worship God with our giving. And, you know, anymore, we just simply get up and say, thank you so much for your faithfulness in giving. You guys are so faithful. God is blessing us because of your faithfulness. We're touching our community. We're reaching out around the world. Some of you don't know this, but on a weekly basis, now this is not a stretch. On a weekly basis, we literally are having thousands of people listen to Sunday services either through the podcast or live online. It's because of your faithfulness helping us reach people. So God bless you. Thank you for your faithfulness. If you're in the building and you have a physical gift you want to give today, there are envelopes on the back of the chairs. You can fill out that envelope, put your gift in there. And as you walk out of the auditorium on each side of the exit doors, there's a giving station right there. There's also a giving station over by the children's check-in station. Hey, this morning, God bless you. We love you. We appreciate you. Don't forget all that's going on this week at the Bridge Church. Have a great week.